This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's sports editor, Chris Kwasinski. How are you doing, Chris? Good today. Good today. That's good. Why are you so good? I don't know. Just There's, there's a lot coming up. There's a jam-packed Wednesday and. If you're not excited for a bragging rights and bowl game at the same time where you can sit on the couch and flip back and forth or choose between one or the other go-to, uh, then you're not a true sports fan, I, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a really jam-packed day. I guess you got to, you know, <laughs> pre-game for a while and, you know, do whatever you got to do. Get all of your affairs in order going into, you know, the, the, the not even the doubleheader, the, the you know, two-for-one two special yeah, of... The BOGO. Yeah. The, of course, we are coming to you on Monday the 20th. I leave for Fort Worth tomorrow to cover the bowl game on Wednesday. Chris will stay here and then go cover Bragging Rights in St. Louis on Wednesday against Illinois. Where do you want to? Let's start with the football, actually. Yeah, let's start football. Football, yeah. So uh, Missouri is facing Army in the Armed Forces Bowl from Martisu plays in Fort Worth on Wednesday. Missouri's first bowl game since 2018. As the last two years, they had their bowl game canceled. Um, or didn't appear in a bowl. Uh, 2019, they had the NCAA sanctions, past NCAA sanctions for economic fraud that came back. Last year, a COVID outbreak prevented them from playing in the Music City Bowl against Iowa. What are you most looking forward to about the bowl game, Chris? Uh, you know, now, like, if you had asked me this earlier today, it would, it would have been like, well, you know, j- just how the defense is planning on stopping the triple option. And, like, who's playing where? Whose assignments are what? You know, what? what's Chris Abrams' drain doing? You know, what's Trajan Jeffco doing? But it really took a turn today, really this afternoon, honestly, like an hour ago, when the injury report dropped and Martez Manuel's not going to be playing in this game. And that's a huge, I mean, that's a huge blow. I mean, this is a huge blow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's someone where Steve Wilkes always talks about being disciplined and, and sound and, and uh, just understanding what, what his assignment is. And he, he is that guy. He is probably one of the best players in the defense, most consistent player in the defense, at least. Yeah, and and that means that there's a chance that zero of Missouri's team captains to start the year may play in the bowl game because we don't know what's going on with the the quarterback situation. And there's a chance Connor Bazelak might not play, but Case Cook's already out for the year. Martez Manuel now is not going to play in a bowl game. And, you know, it, it's just a very interesting time for Mizzou going in against an Army team where you, they're going to be at full strength, really. They're going to be have every reason to win this game. Missouri's kind of trotting along. I don't want to say that Missouri can't win this game, but... That loss of Martez Manuel is a tremendously huge one. Started every game for Missouri over the last two years. You really can't see Missouri's secondary without him. And so who steps up, who, you know, takes over that spot, and who do you think maybe, you know, is the, is the beneficiary of Martez losing time there? I have honestly have no idea because at this point you have to think about who's, you know, who's stepping in for Caleb Evans. Is it DJ Jackson? Probably. Yeah, it prob- probably. But when it comes to safety, you know, who moves over? Is Chris Abrams going to do I know he spent a little bit of time, a pretty little bit of time at safety during the season, right? Yeah, you know, just saw a little time here and there and that kind of stuff. Um, Chris Sheeran's in the transfer portal, too. So that takes away an option at nickel, too. So it's uh, it's just a, a just a game of scheme with, with Steve Wilkes now. You know, who is he going to play where? And you've got two, three days to figure it out. Now, I'm sure they've known about this for longer than we have, but... Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Mar- Martez is in 
Fort Worth. I mean, he was posting all over social media. He went to In-N-Out last night and, you know, went to, I think, some sort of war memorial that they have in Fort Worth. But, yeah, he's there. I mean, so my guess, my guess, guess is that you play Allie Green and DJ Jackson at the two corner spots. You move Chris Abrams' drain into uh, Martez's old spot because he seems to be the most versatile. And then you have J.C. Carlisle and then I'm guessing maybe a Stacey Brown or a Jelani Williams in the other spot. Just, just, it, it just Missouri's secondary is really thin. No Rakestraw, no Evans, no Burdine, who's also in the transfer portal, and now no Manual. Like, it just, it, it, no Sean Robb either. Yeah. Actually, Sean Robb wasn't even listed, actually. So he might be playing now. Ooh, that's, oh, that's, yeah, he hasn't okay. been, he hasn't played for Missouri since I think, like, even the, maybe the Tennessee game, the Boston College game. It's been a while. Yeah. But he was not on the injury report today. Yeah, if they get him back, obviously that's that's huge for, I mean, the safety standpoint of someone who knows how to ball hawk. And obviously you don't need to know that much how to ball hawk against an Army team that probably passes the ball four to five times a game. But I mean, well, the, the idea of where he can sniff out a play and, and obviously just go, he's actually gifted enough to go sniff something out and go get it. I think that's the key. Yeah, and now we'll go to the other side of the ball because it looks like, I mean, you talk a lot about the defense and how they're going to stop the triple option. And yes, it is kind of easy to say that if Missouri's defense can't contain Army, Army's going to win this game. Missouri has a chance to win this game if they can. That is pretty easy to say. But going to the other side of the ball, who do you think Missouri starts at quarterback? Uh, Do you have any inkling or any feeling? Because I have one. Yeah, I I do too. Honestly, for some reason, I keep thinking it's Tyler Macon. And, I mean, a guy that they put out there against Georgia that looked pretty decent, a guy that's mobile, that, that gives you a chance to extend drives with his legs, and that's that's key because you don't want to give the ball back to Army, who's going to take nine minutes per drive and, and really just put, just control the football, control the time of possession. I think it's Connor Bazelak, and, and I say that because you look at what you're going to need from an offense to beat an Army. And this is not – like, if you were facing – another group of five opponent maybe one that plays a little more raw more in, in tune with you know in tune with making mistakes a little bit army is going to be just very sound in that way so you need the person with the most experience and army looks a little be a little susceptible on the back end themselves defensively which quarterback has has shown to have the strongest arm and has the most experience in the pocket that is connor connor's had if connor hasn't gotten healthy over the last month I mean, we're going to wait to see that maybe in 2022. But Connor's literally had a month to get healthy. Like, if he hasn't been able to rehab without a game and, and everything, I, I just think that there's a level of trust there with Drinkwitz that if Connor is 80% healthy or better, I think we'll be seeing him. And I don't want to diss Brady Cook because I think Brady Cook is a better chance to start than Tyler Macon. Um, just based on the experience factor. And that's who Drinkwitz has turned to a couple times. I know he, he went to Tyler Macon in the Vanderbilt game, but – in a couple other instances, he, he's kind of turned to Brady first. And you, you look and you see what kind of happens with Brady Cook, and it seems like he's kind of a good combination of the two, even though Brady Cook says he can run and, you know, has been proven where you think, think that Tyler Macon is kind of the mobile guy that Brady, Brady feels comfortable in that realm too. But as, as much as that's a direction going forward for Mizzou football and the quarterback group, I mean – this could just be the Tyler Beatty game too. Like it might. I don't want to say it's not going to matter who Mizzou plays a quarterback because without a good quarterback, you can't win in college football. Without a good running back, you might still be able to win in college football. Um, this just might be. All right, Tyler, you're coming back. You didn't get to play in the bowl game we wanted to play in in Memphis. Here is a game to literally just improve your entire life and go get a draft stock. Like, want to go run for 500 yards? We'll give you the ball 57 times. Like, I can see that being the strategy too. I mean. 
that's really what I expect. I, I expect a heavy dose of Tyler no matter what, especially against the, this team where they're they're expecting it. And how many times have we been in this position before? I think South Carolina, Florida, where we're like, okay, Tyler Beatty's going to get the ball, and you Vanderbilt. know that too, where you know where he's going to get the ball, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. This this is that opportunity, and Beatty and this offensive line have been through the ringer, especially when it comes to a lot of the games where Beatty's been on the wrong end of uh, just teams trying to shut him down a little bit. But then he's really turned on that course of okay, you have these two hundred yard games and games where you win. You know, that's that's like that's what I feel like is going to happen regardless. Like you said, no matter who starts at quarterback, and but this isn't like the Tennessee game where they're just going to get down and then try to pass the way, pass their way out of it. This is going to be close regardless because of Army's possession and time control. And in and, and, and that regard, it's not going to be, you know, the Armed Forces Bowl against Houston what was a handful of years ago where it was like seventy to fourteen. Like Mizzou's defense is better than that, and they're it's going to be close to the point where Tyler's going to get the ball. And honestly, that's why it feeds into why I think Tyler Macon's going to start. I mean, um, just because of his legs, his opportunity to, to spread the ball to receivers and without any tight end, it really kind of hurts them this year, this week, especially uh, running the football and going forward from there. Yeah, I, I tend to agree that that could be an option. I, I just think that they, they know what they're getting out of a, out of a um, Connor Bay's like just a little bit more. And I mean, even going back to signing day, like, if Brady starts here, knowing that knowing that Sam Horn's coming in, it's just like, I mean, I, I also think that in keeping your options open, unless you're okay with, I don't want to say Connor's walking if he doesn't start here and then doesn't get off to a good start in camp, but that that's just the roster management you got to think about if you're Neil Drinkwitz. This decision means more going forward than it usually does in a bowl game here, just because of the uncertainty you've had in the quarterback position. And you've only had uncertainty, yes, because of Connor Bay's lax mental mistakes. And we've talked maybe he hasn't been really even 100% healthy since the Kentucky game. Yeah. Um, and it's been it's been obvious with his play that there's been some lapses this year, whether it's subconscious or not. And that's not good enough to win at a high level in the SEC. And so if Connor has proven that he can get over those mental lapses or has the best chance to do so, Drinkwitz should start him. If not that could start a slippery slope down that way. And that'd be sad because I think Connor has absolutely proven himself at times. Like all of last year, Connor was looked really good. These mental mistakes just didn't happen. Like go back to, I'll say it's the game against probably Vanderbilt. Um, Connor basically didn't throw a touchdown pass, but he was like 26 of 29 for 300 yards. Just that level of efficiency. Yes, we were facing that Vanderbilt team last year. Who they, they came to Columbia just to have Sarah Fuller have a day, but that level of efficiency is just something you don't see from this current version of Connor. Yes, there might be a little bit more of an al- a reliance on the running back, but they had Larry Roundtree last year too. So, it, it, I think that the sign of where Jenkins wants to go with the program by st- who he starts at quarterback, I, I think he maintains more options going forward with ba- starting Bayslack, unless you know, and I think he understands that too. But he also wants to win this game. So if, if he doesn't think Bazelak is the best person to start, I also think he'll have zero hesitation going to a Brady Cooker or a Tyler Macon. Yeah, and then I know we we all know that that Eli also thinks of this very schematically. And uh, you, when you look at Army, the one thing that you have to take into account is Andre Carter, who is like second in the nation in sacks with fourteen and a half. Like the guy's a one man wrecking ball. So that's why I also think like there's a little bit of twinge of like, do you need that mobility? Do you need the person to get out of a pocket that can make plays that can extend plays especially with Andre chasing you down I mean it, it, that's going to be there and not saying that Mizzou's offensive line is just going to 
is he just going to lay an egg? Because that's not true. We, we've, we've seen them improve and just be consistent, especially the last four or five games of the season when it comes to run blocking and, two, and pass blocking as well. And uh, when it comes to that, though, what would you rather have in just in case that instance? Because this guy is going to get his. Yeah, he's going to get his, but at the same time, you when you have faced big defensive linemen before, Missouri has just said, all right, we're going to take our lumps, and when they happen, they happen. We're not going to like just disrupt our game plan like you did with a Jordan Davis at Georgia. You know, just he's going to get his, no matter what you do. And so I don't think that disrupts a lot of the game plan, but you have to be cognizant of him. And so whether it's just double guarding him and just saying, if, if somebody else on this defensive line can beat us, that's great, but you're not going to beat us with your big guy. Maybe that's what they have to do, and I think that Missouri's offensive line, while they've had a few changes and injuries throughout the year, they've they've had a pretty good year uh, for a Case Cookless line for a majority majority of the year. You know, especially when you look and you see the changes that were made from really the 2019 season on with that unit. The fact that they even have a reputable offensive line right now is a very good sign of coaching. Like you lose players to the NFL and just injury and everything and. I mean, that you're replacing an NFL offensive line is what you're really doing. So I think Case Cook's going to have a shot at it, whether he comes back next year or not. And the other four are either on NFL practice squads or on active rosters right now, and the other four that played with them in the 2019 season. So it, it, it's a weird but interesting thing when you look at those individual matchups on the offensive line. I mean, you can't, you, you can't, say, any, you can't say anything better about an offensive line that consistently helps a running back set career high, like a career day in rushing yards every single week, it seemed like, when, when Beatty was getting over 200, especially capping it off with the 200-yard performance against Arkansas. I know it was a loss, but I mean, they still blocked their hearts out for that guy. And it means a lot, and it's why we should expect more Beatty in the bowl game. Yeah, and I was just looking up Beatty's stats, and I didn't realize Beatty has had only one game this year where he's finished in a 100-yard total. He's had six games where he finished below 100 yards, five games with 200 or more, only one game with um, 100 yards, uh, between 100 and 200 yards, and that was the Florida game which where he got handed the ball twice at uh, in the overtime period, and then uh, Bazelag hit, hit the fadeaway to Daniel Parker Jr., who is also now in the portal, uh, But the, and, and then they won the game, so... Uh, definitely a lot going on football-wise for Missouri. Final prediction, what do you think is uh, happening, I guess, in 48 hours? Mm, my gut, I'm not, I don't know what to think about bowl games because there's a lot of moving pieces here. We really don't know what's going on. Um, but I will take Missouri 27 to 20. Oh, okay, I'm going to take Army with the points. I'm going to go Army. I'll go Army 35, Missouri 24. But without further ado, I did talk to Rich DeMarco, uh, Army's play-by-play radio guy. Uh, he talked to us about everything about the Black Knights. So without further ado, here's my interview from earlier this week with Rich DeMarco. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is Army's Associate Athletic Director and is also the Army's radio play-by-play announcer, Rich DeMarco. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. So for Mizzou fans, just kind of give us an intro to who this Army team is. We hear Service Academy and the Triple Option, but give us a little bit more you know, color to who this Army team is. You know, it's, a, it's an Army team that likes to run the football, as I'm sure that you've seen uh, from the option running attack, from what they've done historically. And, you know, they're a team that's really prided itself under Jeff Munkin, really, and since 2014, his first year as coach, of, you know, not making mental mistakes. And that being the, the biggest, you know, uh, you know, margin that they're able to gain over their opponents. You know, it's never – it's hardly going to be a situation where – 
Army's going to have the more talented team, the team that has um, more recruiting stars uh, on their players uh, than the opponent. But it's a team that just uh, lives by its system and doesn't make mistakes and runs the football just at a high, high level using the flexbone triple option, uh, which has uh, been so successful over the years, and, and really an aggressive defense uh, led by, uh, you know, the top one of the top pass rushers in the nation, Army's uh, single-season leader for sacks in a season, Andre Carter, who's had an All-American year, named the third-team All-American by the Associated Press. So uh, it's been a special year for this Army team. Uh, of course, not winning against Navy. That's the, the biggest game of the year for Army, one of the biggest rivalries in all of sports. But I think it's just a great opportunity to be able to go to a bowl game, as, as Jeff Munkin will say that, you know, it's something you always you can never take for granted. It's something a lot of teams don't get to experience. And I think it's a great way to finish the season strong. So I almost feel, you know, this is the first time since 2010 Army will be at a bowl game um, when not defeating Navy. I almost think it makes, in some ways, makes the bowl game more important because there's more, I'm going to call it pressure, but there's really more opportunity to finish the season strong and finish out with a win to have a good taste in their mouth. As an outsider, what's kind of Army's view of playing an SEC school? It doesn't happen that often, or maybe even playing a team like Missouri. No, I think it's just a great opportunity when you look at the potential bowl matchup. I think, look, you always want to, especially if you're Army and you don't get an opportunity to play as many Power 5 teams as you would love to play. Of course, Army is supposed to play Tennessee next year. They played Vanderbilt in the past. But, you know, to have an opportunity to play a Power 5 school, a school out of the Southeastern Conference, you know, a name that everyone knows, I think it just is, makes it even more exciting uh, for us that cover Army and get a chance to, to watch this team play. Who are some of the – you mentioned uh, the defensive end, uh, but who are some of the playmakers on offense with the, you know, triple option? I just was reading up on Army. It seems like a lot of guys get the ball at a lot of different times. Just who are some of the guys that you should know? Absolutely. It's a, it's a triple option. It's an option attack that's really quarterback, uh, fullback heavy. Army will um, play two quarterbacks. Sometimes they'll sub them out during a series, Christian Anderson and Tyre Tyler. They'll get a ton of carries. They'll also see four, maybe five fullbacks led by Anthony Adkins, Tyson Riley, Kate Barter, Jacoby Buchanan, and, and Wilson Cato. So we'll see really up to five fullbacks, two quarterbacks that will go in and out during the game, and, and some slot-back pitches, just not as much. When this offense is going, it's going to want to be heavy quarterback, fullback. Uh, and then on the on the pitches, Tyrell Robinson, he's really a dynamic a playmaker in terms of his speed and what he can do when he gets to the edge and he will turn the corner. Those are probably the, the big names who are going to be touching the football receiving-wise, and Christian Anderson can really throw the football for an option quarterback, really gives that extra dimension. Isaiah Alston's been terrific. He's a big target, and he's able to extend and uh, and be able to you know soften the defense against defending the option. When you when you what, is there any? This might seem like a ridiculous question, but is there anything different about this year's offense compared to other years under Jeff Monken, or is it is there any tweaks to the triple option? Is that is, is that possible, or is it more so that this is what he runs and we just go with it, or how does that work? I think it's more so this is what, you know, the team runs and, and you go with it. I think, you know, you look, the offense will be maybe tweaked to the specific abilities at the quarterback position. Christian Anderson can throw the ball pretty well. We've seen a lot of shotgun from Army the past couple of years throwing the football. But really it's a function of utilizing the talents 
of the quarterbacks to the best of their ability. So we'll see a little more shotgun. Anderson will throw out of the shotgun. Even Tyre Tyler might run out of the shotgun, throw a little bit out of the gun. But you'll see some shotgun with this option. We saw a lot of shotgun last week from Navy with Army playing Navy. So it's definitely a tweak that you've seen come into, you know, the triple option of the academy the past few years. You guys, from what I understand, have played in the Armed Forces Bowl before. Is that correct? Yeah, this is our fourth time playing in the game, third time uh, playing in it in Fort Worth. We played one year in Dallas back in 2010. What's that experience been like? Just uh, It's probably been different opponents. I'm not sure if you played a Power 5 opponent in that game before, but what, what's Army's experience been playing the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth in the past? It's been a great experience. I mean, it's really, you look at PCU, I mean, that's one of the, most beautiful stadiums in all of college football. I mean, you're able to go through it from the premium areas to the seating areas to the press box. It's it's one of the nicest stadiums you're going to experience. Fort Worth is a great city. It's also a place where there's a lot of Army fans. You know, Texas, there's a lot of West Point graduates, a lot of Army bases, people in the Army, and there's always been a great representation of fans that are coming out to cheer on uh, Army and West Point when we've been out there. So I know we've been to the Heart of Dallas Bowl in 2016, which was played at the Cotton Bowl last year, able to play in the Liberty Bowl, of course, in Memphis. It really feels as much like a home game at the Armed Forces Bowl as you can because just the amount of Army fans who come out to support the game. It's interesting you say that because Dallas is probably, I don't want to say the most important non-Missouri city to Mizzou, but it's it's on that list for sure. Like, I mean, the amount of Mizzou alums have come out of, the, out of that area. I mean, Chase Daniel being the headline. Sure. Uh, but just, I think that that's going to make for a really festive atmosphere. Just, you know, just what has Army's entire 21, 21 season kind of kind of been like? I mean, I know you guys have played Wake Forest, you guys played Liberty. Last week didn't go as planned, but is this kind of the quality of Army team that you guys were expecting this year in West Point? Yeah, I think when you looked at last year and what Army was able to do despite the pandemic of winning nine games, defeating Navy and Air Force in back-to-back weeks in December, and then bouncing back down about 15 players and going right down to the wire in the in the Liberty Bowl against West Virginia, knowing that a lot of players were coming back this year. I think it was expected that it was going to be a good year this year. When you look at how the year went, you know, getting out to four wins in a row, then really the tough loss was to Ball State and then really played well on the road at Wisconsin, lost by six. Played not badly at home against Wake Forest scored 56 points, except, uh, you know, Wake Forest scored 70. And then really got on a nice little run, dramatic win against Air Force, and then just leading up to that Navy game, which, of course, Navy, you know, played better last Saturday, plain and simple, and beat Army by four. So it's been a, you know, it's it's been a really good year. And, you know, despite the loss to Navy, I mean, this has been as, you know, talented an Army team as we've seen in recent years. So I think it's definitely a representative team to go up against an SEC team and, you know, the way Missouri season's gone, I know Missouri's got a lot to play for, a winning record, and to, to finish the year strong and what, you know, you're building out there. For sure. If there are any points where Army maybe has fallen a little short this year, where would those be? If Missouri's looking to win this game, what, what would you attack if you're Eli Drinkwitz to try and get at Army? You know, I just look at it. There's some teams that have had success throwing the football against Army. Air Force had some success in the second half, and uh, Wake Forest had a ton of success with that. Um, with that mesh, you know, play action. But then you look at Liberty against one of the top quarterbacks in the country, and Malik Willis. I mean, he might be the top quarterback taken in the draft. Army's pass defense played really well. So Army shored up what was, 
you know, something that teams had success on in a couple of games earlier this year, throwing the football against them and really was able to bounce back. You know, I just think it comes down to if, if Missouri can stop Army's run, if you can force Army into long yardage situations, three and outs, and, you know, prevent them from controlling the clock, that's what I think the key to, to beating Army is. That's what Navy did last week. Army had trouble moving the football, gave Navy a lot of possessions. I think for Missouri, it comes down to the more possessions they get, the better chance they have to win the game, where I think for Army, the fewer possessions there are in the game, the better chance Army has to win. I'm sure I'm sure you're well aware at one point this season Missouri had the second worst rush defense in the entire FBS. So that's an interesting way of putting that that you got a team who averages over 300 rush yards a game, you know, uh, is playing a team who gives up about at one point they give up about 230 per game, which is awful. Uh, and they had a defensive line coaching change, but they've been much better in November in that in that realm. Uh, so with that said, who do you think ends up uh, winning this game? I know you work for Army, and so you're probably going to choose them and. Army will likely be favored, and I think I'd probably choose Army in this game. But how do you think this one kind of plays out in Fort Worth? Yeah, I think it plays out. All the Army bowl games have really been close, really with the exception of the 70-14 to win over Houston the last time Army was in this Armed Forces Bowl. Every single Army bowl game has been razor-thin close. Just look back at the history of Army and bowl games. I think this will be close, and I think Army will take it by a field goal in the fourth quarter. Sounds great. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Rich, where can everybody catch up with any content you guys are putting out uh, before the bowl game? Absolutely. GoArmyWestPoint.com is the website. On Twitter, ArmyWP underscore football, or GoArmyWestPoint on Twitter. You can access everything through there. All right, that was Rich DeMarco, the play-by-play radio announcer for Army football. Thank you so much for joining us, Rich, on this episode, and we'll, we'll definitely catch up with you when you get to Fort Worth. Absolutely. Look forward to it. We would like to thank our sponsors with the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And now, back to the show. And thank you once again to Rich DeMarco for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. We, the, our, our duet is now a trio. We are now joined by Madeline Carter, our photographer, who will be photographing bragging rights for us and was on the sideline for the border war. So, Madeline, what was that experience like, and what are you most looking forward to about getting back on the sideline for bragging rights? It was definitely very interesting. It was very, very loud. Um, I don't know if you could hear that from all the way up there, but my ears were ringing for like two days afterwards. Yeah, no, it was loud in every part of the arena for sure. Missouri did lose by 37 at the Border War and will be favored, not be favored for bragging rights. They did beat Utah on Saturday. Looked pretty good doing so. Beat them by eight. So, Chris, where, where do you kind of see Mizzou men's basketball kind of heading from here? It's really interesting because a lot of the stuff that we didn't see in Border War, we kind of saw against Utah. We saw a team that 
didn't get frazzled even though that Utah was in control ahead for for most of the game and that kind of stuff and uh, we, we saw Kobe Brown just take over we saw him thrive in the post he had free real estate there the entire time and dropped 27 points in a career high and that's not something that we it's not something that I saw since the season over when Javon Pickett took over against Central Michigan no and I think that that might be the new strategy and, and I said this kind of and I asked this to Conzo on Saturday it was more like now that you lost to Kansas, they're a high-level team with national championship aspirations. And to be fair, Missouri's not even close to there. Was it easier to see what you guys did wrong knowing that you faced a team who has kind of all their ducks in a row when you guys don't? And his answer was essentially yes. And so it was interesting. He started two freshmen, the former Kickapoo duo of Trevon Brazil and Anton, Anton Brookshire, alongside Deshaun Gordon, Kobe Brown, and Javon Pickett. And it seemed to work for a little, little while, even though he used Amari Davis a little bit more off the bench and Boogie Coleman got back in the lineup. It's nice to see that Missouri has some depth. I think only Caleb Brown and, and Jordan Moore were the two who didn't play. Kashawn Durigordon even got some minutes. Uh, Yaya Keita played a little bit. But I, I, the weird part is about Jordan Wilmore, it seems like he either starts usually or does not play. And I, I expect him to play against Illinois, if nothing else, than just to be a hack of Kofi and, you know, just to try and just bottle him up as much as possible. I don't think you – when you have a dominant pro- – uh, post guy like that, I think you cannot you, you cannot afford to have your seven foot three guy stay on the bench regardless of his level of production or not. No, especially with Kofi. I mean, this is an all American guy. You can't you, you got to pull out all the stops to try and stop him. But honestly, I don't think there's any way you can stop him if you're Missouri. You can only hope to contain him. And we we saw a lot of that in Border War where Conzo talked about that after the game where he wanted to defend Kansas inside to out. Uh, to, to try and just say, hey, if you're going to beat us, beat us with contested perimeter threes. But like he was saying, Mizzou never got back and when there was a lot of transition plays. and never got back to defend those. and never got good closeouts. And we saw a little bit of that against Utah, too. They had a lot of open threes, and uh, Utah just didn't make them. And I think that's just the quality of just a not, a playing not a Kansas. But uh, it, it was a lot of it was really interesting just to watch the two games, especially when you saw, okay, Mizzou took that lump against Kansas, and now mentally, here's where they're at. And uh, I think that was the mental aspect of it was pretty good too. Just, just get, finding a way to bounce back and just be calm. Well, I think one thing that I kind of noticed because when you're on the sidelines, you know, even in Allen Fieldhouse, when it's loud and your ears are ringing, you can still hear everything that the players are saying to each other. And so, a lot of the stuff that I was hearing in Allen Fieldhouse, just from the players, was just like frustration with each other, frustration with Kansas. There were swears, there was grunting. But then with Utah, like I, I kind of noticed that they got more into the swing of things. There wasn't as much frustration. And I think the thing about Mizzou is that they're a very, very passionate team. They're all really, really good kids, but with that passion comes with, or it comes with a lot of frustration. And I think that's something that they kind of have to work through. And I think they worked through it a little with Utah. Um, but it was also interesting to see that whenever Utah would get up and celebrate because they'd knocked down a three or whatever, and the fans behind them would just be, you know, like completely skeptical, which was honestly very hilarious to watch because I think that was kind of the position that Mizzou was in with Kansas. Yeah, very, very much so. And when you look and see the difference between the Kansas game and the Utah game, it's it's not just evident on offense. It's evident on defense as well. And obviously Kobe Brown becoming um, Missouri's you know go-to on offense, it's interesting because you usually don't have the guy who's your main heart of the offense and your main scorer to kind of be the same guy. Last year it was Jeremiah Tillman, and then you relied on your main scorer to be either Drew Smith or Xavier Pinson. Having it be the same guy kind of admits that you don't have that guard shooter that you really trust and 
I mean, seeing Missouri's first couple of games, I don't blame Conzo for making that assessment. You know, you can't rely on Boogie's threes. You can't rely on the mid-range game of Omari to be that production scoring for you, as good as they are in both those things. And they just don't have anybody else of that level who can just get them a bucket whenever they want this year. Yeah, and, and I mean, speaking from the Utah perspective, obviously, I lived there for two and a half years. I'm, I've seen a lot of that team. Honestly, I, I covered Utah when they upset Can- or, uh, excuse me, Kentucky in, in Las Vegas, and they're they're used to that. Like when you talk about that skepticism, and they're they're used to just watching teams struggle. And uh, their previous head coach, Larry Kaskowski, um, he bought himself a whole year when he upset Kentucky in Las Vegas, and so there's a lot of just skepticism just from the basketball fan base in general because like okay well we haven't been successful in a while what why should we believe that we're successful here and I, I mean that's that's something that when you contrast against Mizzou where especially when he was at Kansas where you're like oh like we're going to struggle where this is not going to be good and it really didn't feel that way too especially when uh, there, there were times when Missouri Arena got pretty loud too like there you could tell the fans were into but you could tell that there is that okay like hey like we sh- we're in this game we should be in this game too and I mean that all came to a, an apex when Boogie Coleman had that long three to basically seal the game I mean that's that's where you want to be as a program that 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 hope that the, the just enjoyment of just watching basketball and I don't think we've seen that this year at all, really, maybe since the Central Michigan game. Yeah, you forget that the Kansas City game was the second game of the year. I mean, Kanza put so much in the preseason into getting fans out and had a great student section that first game, and then you have one game like Kansas City, and they have not regained it since. And yes, there, there have been some bright spots here and there, but just how bad did Missouri men's basketball need that winning against Utah just to feel like they could have anything going this season? They lose that game. Do you have any confidence in them doing anything good going forward? No. Because they won that game, where's your confidence level now? It's better than what it was again than against Kansas, clearly. But I mean, especially just going up and I mean, like I was saying before, when you have someone like Kobe Brown that just takes over a game and that drops twenty seven points, that gives you that hope of like, okay, like this guy can do it. This guy can do it when he's called upon and he's a guy that you just get the ball and get out of the way. And when you need you can have a guy like Amari Davis get a, you know, get out there and hit threes, they can get to the line, it can get from the free out just make shots from the free throw line, kinda of give you those points when needed. And if he can come off the bench and, and give you what, ten, twelve points a game off like that's that's huge. That's a game changer for this team. That's not something we that, that Mizzou thought it was going to have just towards the season, especially when Amari was going to be starting. Period. So, I, I mean, it, to me, it also just comes down to defense and how, if they can defend the perimeter, then I think they have a really good chance against against Illinois, who turns the ball over 15 times a game on average. Right. And I mean, Kofi is Kofi. You cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him. And yeah, you can whack a, uh, <laughs> You can have one more hack of Kofi if you want, but that's not going to stop him from getting 20 points. I think he's going to get his regardless. And when you talk about a guy that's a, a potential Naismith Player of the Year candidate. Uh, you think I think back to the NCAA tournament game against Loyola when Loyola beat uh, upset Illinois to kick him out of the tournament. Kofi had twenty one and nine. Like they did, Loyola really didn't stop him. Period. But what they did was they stopped their guards. Andre Cabello, who might not even playing in this game because he hasn't played since November twenty third. Uh, you have uh, Io, who now with the Bulls, but yeah. in that game you, you shot like four for ten. Like he only had nine points. He had very little impact in the game whatsoever. I mean, this is a game that where if you can force the guards to turn the ball over, you're going to be in the game. Yeah, for sure. And I and looking back to these past, I think three years of bragging rights, you have to say each of those three years that Missouri was probably on paper the worst team all three of those years during this three-game win streak. And Missouri has executed a really good strategy. 
Sometimes Kazu gets flack. But in bragging rights itself, he has outcoached Brad Underwood the last three years. You go back and you see the, how he designed the game plan for Jordan Geist in 2019, and he, and he got that done. You go back, I guess, sorry, that was 2018. 2019, essentially he said, all right, we're just going to muddy the waters. We're going to have this be a low-scoring game. If, if they can beat us on defense, they can beat us. And Missouri's defense was outstanding that game. They had Reed Nicko basically play the role I think he's going to have Jordan Wilmore try and play and absolutely took Kofi Coburn out of it. And then last year, it's funny, Chris, you mentioned the strategy you would take with Kofi. Missouri basically did that last year against Io. We're going to let Io get his points. I think he had 36, 8, and 9 or something like that last year against Missouri, and no one else could beat Missouri. Missouri ended up winning that game. And so, again, this looks like a year where Illinois is the better team on paper. And what strategy do you think Conzo might have to try and best Brad Underwood in this game again to try and, you know, generate a, a fourth straight bragging rights win? As much as that sounds weird to say in this series, Missouri has a chance to go for a four-peat here. That's weird. It does. It, and, I mean, it's it would be the third time in, in the rivalry history where it, it, Mizzou has won four in a row. So, I mean, like, history's on their side. They've been able to do that. But, uh uh, it's it's difficult to think about what they're going to do, especially when I think about what we've seen from Missouri this year. And there's very few things that I, that I've that we, I mean, we've seen. Period for that we that could just hunker down and stop a team. I mean, I think back to Northern Illinois, but Northern Illinois wasn't really that good. I mean, you think talk about Eastern Illinois, one of the worst teams in the nation. I mean, when when you think about what what does Mizzou have to do to to win this game, it's yeah, th- th- you're going to have Kofi score a lot of points. I mean, I think it's the same thing, but you just let Kofi get his. I mean, uh, yeah, he's probably going to put up 34 in 12. He's going to get a-, a lot of those th- really good, gaudy stats. But if nobody else can do anything, if if Andre Corbello doesn't play, that's huge first off. And uh, I don't know if he will. Uh, there's, I haven't seen anything confirming whether or not he's going to play or not. But um, if he is, then he's also had iffy games this year too. I know he turned the ball over seven seven times in one game. So I mean, it just comes down to can you make defensive plays on the perimeter, and not just getting turnovers and getting steals, driving the passing, but also, I mean, we're talking about closing out on the perimeter. Something that they yeah, they did better against Utah, but against Kansas that was not existent because they were just in transition all over the place. And there are a couple times that kind of looked like that against Utah, but they were able to rebound to get better and just get back out and get a hand in the guy's face when he's shooting a three. And I think, and that's paramount against Illinois. I mean, that, I know they shoot 39% from three period, but I mean, to, to contest threes, to, to play the defense that Conzo wanted to against Kansas, you can see that like Madeline was saying, like you can see it started to click. They're not getting frustrated. They're, they're rebounding. They're like, okay, what can we do next time down the court? That's going to be key in this game to stay in it mentally, but also to remember to close out. Well, and I think what's most important to remember about that whole frustration thing is like, yeah, some can argue that like getting frustrated when you're playing basketball is a good thing. And yeah, to some extent, but also the things that I kind of noticed with Mizzou is when you're on that court side and, you know, they're getting frustrated because of fu- a foul was called on them or, you know, something's happening where it's not going their way. Like those few seconds of frustration, it costs them a lot because one minute in basketball time is a lot of time. So like you're losing out on, you know, potential points and you're losing the ball to the other team. And that's just something they kind of have to work through. But um, also it's me and Chris's first time covering a bragging rights game. So I'm just curious, Chris, what are you most excited about? (laughs) To, to be honest with you, I, I'm most excited about covering Illinois. I mean, growing up in the suburbs, I never got a chance to do that. Um, suburbs of Chicago, that is. And this is a team that I grew up watching, especially when you go back to 05. Like, I I thrived in that championship run when they, before they lost to Sean May in, in North Carolina. But 
I'm just excited to watch them play. Uh, I mean, I know they're good. I know they're well coached, but I know that this team has a penchant for having a few letdowns, but also just to see how Conzo steps up as a coach in a, in a game where I know he has had success, uh, but also waiting for Javon Pickett. Hey, can he can he step up and be rivalry Javon Pickett that we know he can be? So that this kind of I'm just excited to see the storylines. Excited to see Illinois kind of get behind the the wheel of covering a team that I've, I've watched as a kid. That's the kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, just for a note for everybody out there, you're gonna have to show a, a negative test if you're unvaccinated or your proof vaccination if you are vaccinated to get into the arena. Uh, that's the Enterprise Center rules. Um, and for for Chris and Madeline, who will be representing the Tribune in St. Louis, I'll be in Fort Worth at the same time, kind of keeping notes back and forth. Um, I'll go first in my prediction with what I think for, is gonna happen here. Uh, as much as Missouri had any momentum, Illinois is a different beast. They're going to be ready for this game. I'm going to go Illinois by about 15. I'll go Illinois 80, Mizzou 65, and call it there. I I wrote about this earlier today. My prediction was Illinois 80, Mizzou 75. I think. Oh really? I, yeah. I, I think Illinois is going to turn the ball over, but when it comes down to transition play, uh, Mizzou is just going to not going to have enough firepower against this Illinois team. Madeline, do you want to give a prediction? No, you don't. What, pred- <laughs> what predictions of other things do you have then? None. Actually, can I pose a question to you, Eric? Oh no. Okay. Uh, c- c- <laughs> Ooh, uh, no more. No more Madeline's prediction. All right. What, what's up? Well, well I, I mean, Madeline posed a question to, to me about like what am I most looking forward to at bragging rights? What are you lo- most looking forward to at a Fort Worth? Yeah, uh, I used to live in Texas, so um, just getting back down into and getting back down into just seeing what Texas football is all about. It's a whole different beast down there. I'm not going to be there for too long. Maybe a little bit over 48 hours tops and just to you know it's a great area of the country to kind of just travel to lots of great restaurants i've never i don't think i've actually ever been to a big that's that's why i've been to west virginia but i was gonna say i've never been to a big 12 football stadium but actually i have uh and i've been inside texas plays but i actually have never seen a game there i covered a state track meet across the street uh so yeah definitely going to be great to go go cover a bowl game definitely something on my reporter bucket list and i haven't been able to do third year on the beat and missouri's been good enough both years to make a bowl game and then didn't play another one so hopefully we make it to wednesday and nothing has happened uh and i'll be able to cover this game uh and so it'll, it'll be a lot of fun and so we, we, we've gone with both the well, both the reporters want is their favorite thing madeline what are you most looking forward to about covering bragging rights um, I've never covered anything at the Enterprise Center before, which will be really, really cool. Um, and I grew up watching a little bit of Illinois basketball, too, just because they're kind of close to my home of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But also, it's it's Christmas time. It's family time. And so, like, usually whenever I go photograph basketball games, I think about my grandpa, who was a really great basketball coach. Um, and so that'll be exciting just to carry his memory into that and... Yeah, I'm excited. It's Christmas time, and I'm the one not wearing green here. I, 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 I guess that, that says <laughs> well, something about me. I've got my red pants on. So. And I'm wearing jeans. All right, from Madeline Carter and Chris Kwasinski, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time.